Well, hello out there in internet wrestling community land all over social media and, of course, streaming audio files on all podcast streaming services. How y'all doing out there? It's your boy. It is me. It is me. The big old Stevie C live from the basement bringing you the Heel and Face podcast brought to you by Heel Turn Wrestling. And let me tell you what. Holy Christmas. You know, I told you guys last week that I kind of wanted a a palate cleanser. I kind of wanted to take a little break from the WWE and kind of venture off somewhere else. I did say that I might be interested in um, checking out MLW again. I've been hearing some things through the grapevine, uh, how much better uh, it'd be uh, over this week or it was getting this week. And, uh, you know, I didn't get a chance to it, but I will say this. I did watch something that was ultimately more satisfying, ultimately more gruesome, ultimately more interesting, ultimately the best thing that's happened in wrestling and combat sports in a while. And I wonder what I'm talking about. But of course, you're going to find out next on Heel Turn Wrestling. Let me adjust the seat. For some reason, the seat is there we go. There you see all my smiling, shining face in all its glory. Looking a little yellow today. I think it's because I'm wearing this green. But I'm undaunted because I'm going to bring you quality news and analysis from the world of professional wrestling and MMA. So stick around. I'm going to try to keep it a short and sweet kind of podcast today because really there's only one major news story that has cycled through and i'm gonna be honest i didn't watch a whole lot of wrestling wrestling to be confident enough to review it with you but i will have at the end of this podcast my review and analysis of ufc 261 usman versus masvidal and um there's a lot of lessons that were learned last night definitely a lot of lessons that were learned last night And kids, I'm going to bring them to your attention later on at the end of this podcast. But before we do that, I do want to uh, bring your attention to um, all the other cool stuff that's going on at Heel Turn Wrestling. Of course, you already know, because we're at 92,000 subscribers now. uh, And as I said, we're not ashamed in admitting that we're getting 100,000. We're going to have 100,000 by the end of the year. That is the goal. And it's you guys, the fans, not just of my podcast, the Heel and Face podcast, but fans of all of the stuff that we put out at Heel Turn Wrestling. All the great podcasts. Piers Austin and Billy Alexander fighting each other currently for, I shouldn't say fighting because then that uh, brings up cheap heat between the boys and we don't need that. Uh, but uh, I should say more, more like, Can you top this with how many podcasts are on the heel turn wrestling? Um, I believe Piers Austin's up to three that he's on now throughout the week. And they're all killer. No filler, so to speak. Uh, He's got uh, shooting the ass with various wrestlers in the Australian uh, pro wrestling scene and a couple of other random people uh, as well. He's got uh, killing the business with Kingpin Angel. If you remember from ECW fame, Years ago, part of the Baldies, I believe. And now, um, f- former WCW star Kiwi is also starting a podcast with Pierce. And you can check him out and the Multi-Continental Wrestling Association. All their good stuff on their uh, on their sites. But of course, go through ours too, because we broadcasted, we cross-post with them. And uh, we dig it. 
So all three of those shows, the Wrestling 2020 Trivia Show, of course, every Sunday. You've got, of course, like I said, Billy Alexander, um, Behind the Mic, the Franchise Takes Five podcast. You've got all of our dank memes and all of our sick memes and all of our sickly dank memes and all of our dankly sick memes at Heel Turn Wrestling here on Facebook. And I don't think I'm leaving anybody. So, oh, no, of course not. Of course not. I almost forgot. Uh, the boys, uh, Loganity. Bruiser and Travis Knapper. That's right. The boys at to the turnbuckle. I don't have a good voice right now or else I do my camera Grimes impersonation, but to the turnbuckle Tuesday nights. And uh, we're just keep on growing. We're just keep on growing until we basically dominate the social media website when it comes to fan oriented, fan driven news and information about the best sport in the world, the world of professional wrestling. Of course, where can you Show your pride, show your spirit, show that you want to be part of Heel Turn Wrestling. Well, the way you can do that is you can go to our Pro Wrestling Tees shop at ProWrestlingTees.com. All you need to do is just search for us, Heel Turn Wrestling. And then when you're there, you can uh, go search all of our beautiful and I do mean beautiful T-shirts that are there. You are more than welcome to peruse through and see Billy Alexander and the franchise takes five, his t-shirt. You can go with the logo. If you like all the shows, and you should, and we know you do, you can go with a company logo right there. You can go down to blogger and meme god extraordinaire alcoholic Adams t-shirt right there. And of course, if you feel so inclined, you can also purchase for yourself and your family and your loved ones the cleanest, dopest, hottest, freshest, flyest t-shirt at prowrestlingtees.com the Heel and Face Podcast t-shirt. So it's all there for you and your perusement. So don't forget to go to prowrestlingtees.com backslash heel turn wrestling. Do what the crawl says, people. Do what the crawl says. If modern society is not teaching you anything, it's obey what is on the screen. So go to prowrestlingtees.com backslash heel turn wrestling. That's prowrestlingtees.com backslash heel turn wrestling. And of course, as the crawl is about to say, you can also follow heel turn wrestling at HTW or HT Wrestling, I'm sorry, 316. That's HT Wrestling 316. And just get all of our goodness and all of our awesomeness, and uh, you will be glad you did. Well, unfortunately, um, speaking about uh, awesomeness, something totally did awesome did not happen this week. And it is the main news article that just kind of drove all of the conversation. Um, after the, we take a little break in the podcast, I'll come with a lighter uh, news event before I get into, uh, ultimate fighting. But this is the one news article that dominated the entire pro wrestling internet community news cycle for the last week, which is really rough. And let's, as Polonius said in Hamlet, begin at the beginning. So let's begin at the beginning then and talk about the biggest news coming out of Stanford, Connecticut, which is WWE Senior Director of Talent Relations, Mark Carano, fired amid controversial treatment of recently released superstar Mickey James. And not just that, uh, but uh, there were some things that were coming along uh, down the pipe as far as uh, Mark Carano from different reports 
uh, everything from he was slowly having some of his responsibilities taken away to um, not ha- not being the go-to guy for a lot of the talent relations questions, et cetera, et cetera. He was definitely Triple H's right-hand man. So pretty much he had the run of the chicken coop with Triple H's blessing. And that's going to actually uh, come up as a question that I'm going to pose a little bit later on as we discuss this. Uh, other officials who were let go were uh, Joey Villa, who was the in charge of uh, promotions and corporate communications. And he said something on his Twitter account as well. But this is, again, stemming from the release of Mickey James. And if you don't know or you aren't aware, Mickey James ha- was let go with, uh, during Black Thursday. But days later, she received a box in her mailbox, you know, delivered to her, where uh, she had the rest of her clothes, the rest of her uh, wrestling gear that was stored away, put in a garbage bag, labeled Mickey, and then put inside a box and shipped her. So this is... Probably the, one of the most ignominious, embarrassing things that could happen to you, not just as a as a wrestler, but as a professional. Um, I've uh, unfortunately uh, known the walk of shame before. I've known what it's like to just have someone put a bunch of your stuff in a box, like unceremoniously, and give it to you on your way out of the building. Things that you've cherished, things that you've put together like mementos from the job. I mean, I've, I've had articles and letters from students in the past who have, you know, said some really heartfelt things and have it ruined by carelessly someone throwing it in a box and not even caring about your personal belongings. So I have definitely been there and I felt that pain before from Mickey James, uh, that the same pain that Mickey James felt. So I don't know if this is a culture thing as far as the WWE goes. We're going to talk about that a little bit. I'm going to pose that question to you, and I'm probably going to make it a poll question this week because I'm really interested in what you guys have to say about it. But I'm really curious because is this a culture thing in the WWE? Is this something that uh, some of the higher-ups of the WWE weren't aware is what happened? Um, Who knows? So uh, we'll have to find that out, uh, you know, when it comes out of the wash. We do know that both Mark Serrano, Joey Vila and another who I could not figure out uh, was let go as well. And this is all stemming from this picture. I think I have it right here. That's right. So it's all stemming from this tweet. And by the way, all of the sources that I'm going to show you are credits to uh, either Mickey James's Instagram or Mickey James's Twitter account. So you can all go there. She still has a lot of this put up because she is a hashtag grown ass woman. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And the tweet uh, reads, Dear Vince McMahon, I'm not sure if you're aware. I did receive my WWE care package today. Thank you. Always blessed and grateful. And something's going on with the technicality of my uh, using uh uh, the uh, the deal here, the, the, the program here, I can't scroll down for some reason. But if you can go there and you can see it as well, it's, it's basically a bag, a garbage bag that has her name on it. And um, again, this is a practice that is now coming out of the wash as something that's common. Uh, as Jim Cornette recently just said, it was back in the day, the boys and the girls were responsible for their own gear 
they walked in with their own gear and they walked out with their own gear. And I know that things change. I know that, you know, because of a corporation, sometimes you want to have an extra uniform on, uh, on call. I get it, you know, for, a, uh, you know, because of a taping or because of a, uh, maybe a wardrobe malfunction and whatnot. I found it a little odd too, that they did keep extra, uh, copies of outfits and things. But, you know, again, it's, it's a company who requires you to wear a uniform to work and you wear it. But importantly, according to Gail Kim, apparently this is not uncommon. She also was given a box with her, uh, like a, a brown paper bag or black paper bag, uh, black plastic bag with her belongings in it when she left the company. And she's not the first wrestler also that's that had that happen to, to them. Wrestlers in the past have just not been as vocal about it. So apparently not only this is uh, the practice, but this is pretty standard with what WWE does, especially with your belongings and how you leave. And we all know how petty Vince McMahon can be at times, most of the time. And we all know that the WWE has this culture about them that they put out there that they're this big family that when you come to work for the McMahons, when you come to wrestle, it's it's your dream to do it. And we treat each other like family around here. And if we have a problem, we talk to each other like family and blah, 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 blah. But in actuality, um, it's a soulless corporation that is too big and doesn't really understand what's going on and doesn't really know um, what one part is doing from the next. And this is part of my speculation. So I'm going to quickly uh, go to this speculation first before I move on to um, the responses from Stephanie and Triple H. I feel like there's two ways to think about it. You can be cynical or you can be stoic and non-cynical about it. So the, the, the non-cynical um, view is, you know what? This is a company. The company has grown too big. Everyone talks about when they leave, you know, that uh, they've been there when they first got hired. They were there when there was maybe two or three writers and five bookers or agents and one Vince McMahon to finalize everything. And when they left, it's like 20 or 30 writers and two agents and Vince McMahon. And that's why things look disjointed and confused and people are changing things at the last minute, et cetera, et cetera, because of the culture of backstage and the culture of the booking and whatnot uh, has gone way out of control. And it's way too much for Vince to manage just by having two or three people Triple H and Stephanie included. And I'd like to think that maybe some of these things, some of these practices, some of these good old boy things that used to happen still are being weeded out. We know that Miz and a couple of other guys in the back stopped all that. Hey, you got to shake everybody's hand and grab the veterans bags malarkey from uh, days ago, uh, years ago. Um, we know that uh, you, there's the unwritten rules of how you have to act in the locker room that have been blown up, not just by the talent themselves, but a concerted effort by Triple H and Vince McMahon to make um, professional wrestling more professional. You know, Vince McMahon instituting, uh, hey, just look like a professional. I know he went kind of overboard with insisting wrestlers like wear suits and ties and stuff. But at least, you know, have kind of like what the NBA was asking for their players a couple of years ago. Just look professional. 
We don't care if you wear a suit and tie, just look professional. So a lot of those positive changes that have come via the WWE, and I don't think anyone's going to argue as far as professionalism and a work ethic and all that. But the downside of that is it is entirely possible that the WWE has ballooned up to such a size that it's no longer manageable even for uh, a small cadre, a small uh, uh, two or three man organization, and that there actually has to be specific operating officers, executive officers who have well-defined domains that all they do is report back to Vince McMahon. It's this kind of this amorphous smudge where Vince just kind of swoops over everything, gets a little bit here, a little bit there, and then makes a decision based off of very little, if any, information. So again, if this is a practice that was held over from the good old boy network of here's your crap, where's your hurry? But again, as you hear from Jim Cornette saying that in the past, you were responsible for everything. So it was weird to see a bag of your stuff when as a wrestler and a professional, you should be responsible for everything. Uh, that being said, if you want to look at the cynical side, WWE and Vince McMahon have created a culture and a climate that is not conducive to quote unquote family values or uh, a core set of values that they blatantly disregard and set up only when it suits them. When we're talking about the brass ring, when you're talking about the open door policy, when you can talk to anybody without repercussion, uh, the ability to express yourself as a wrestler, as an artist, uh, the ability um, to challenge anything that you don't think is proper, basically just going along with whatever you're, uh, whatever you want to do, um, a culture of openness and a culture of uh, we're all in this together. That is just obviously a load of crap. And Vince McMahon is this aging king on this throne. He's kind of like Theoden from uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, just sitting there moldering away under the influence of Wormtongue and just basically making these edicts that don't make any sense counterproductive and destroying his own kingdom, which is the WWE. So I don't know if this is going to change anytime soon or if, um, you know... Uh, at, at this point, should we have any faith in Stephanie and Vin and in, in, uh, in Triple H to turn this around? I don't know. Maybe the firing of uh, Serrano or Carano and these other executives might be a sign they are cleaning house. It might be a sign that they do think this thing is bloated and too out of control. Maybe they do think that uh, there's too many people who are doing things that aren't uh, proper or new or uh, acceptable in modern society. So we shall see about that. But speaking of Triple H and Stephanie, so this was, oh, real quick, this is real funny before we get to that. Um, this was another tweet from Mickey James, and it, it came up totally random, um, apparently, uh, very surreptitiously. This is a Simpsons quote from the Twitter handle Simpsons quote of the day. Uh, this is uh, Millhouse getting Millhouse's dad getting fired from the cracker factory. Millhouse's dad saying, so that's it after 20 years. So long. Good luck. The other panel says, I don't recall saying good luck. And Mickey James there telling us, showing us live footage from uh from uh the black thursday the day she was fired 
Uh, I thought that was really funny and entertaining. But okay, so let's go to the the statements that were made. So as soon as Triple H and Stephanie got wind of this, they, because they are active on social media, they also responded very quickly to this information. As you can see, Stephanie says right there, Mickey James, I embarrassed you or anyone else will be treated this way. I apologize personally and on behalf of WWE, the person responsible is no longer with our company. And then Triple H backed it up with, upon learning the disrespectful treatment some of our recently released talent received on behalf of the company, we took immediate action. The person responsible for this inconsiderate action has been fired and is no longer with WWE. So again, as they should have, and I don't like seeing anybody lose their jobs, okay? Uh, who don't really deserve it. Um, because again, that's happened to me. <laughs> the same thing happened to me is I was unjustly let go at my job. And um, I actually had, a, a, you know, reasons that I was let go. But, you know, they were all contrived. They were all kind of made up. I'm not trying to sound like some scapegoat or anything like that. But they... Let's put it this way. One of my former employees, uh, employers really made it o over and above what normal people would do to make a case to get rid of me, as opposed to, I don't know, just finding something that they could just say randomly, painfully obvious. And so I was released because it just got so overwhelming as to what my former employer was trying to do to me that it was no longer tenable, even if I wanted to stay. This is a different example. This is uh, blatant and outright, you know, disrespect. And the fact that uh, they even apologized over Twitter and they really didn't have a reason to get rid of her either, I guess. I mean, it was just people just making these decisions uh, without even really thinking about it. And of course, you know that what the WWE likes to do is they like to use you up. You know, they'll squeeze all the blood out of the term they can before they throw it in the compost heap. And that's what they did with Samoa Joe. That's what they did with Mickey James. You know, uh, Samoa Joe's last appearance in a WWE television was commentary for WrestleMania during a rainstorm. Let that sink in. And Mickey James's last significant thing that she did was commentary at uh, NXT Stand and Deliver. So they, you know, squeezed as much out of that stone as they could. And then they just kind of got rid of them. And now this is the fallout of that. But here's another question that comes up when I think about this. Why apologize on Twitter? If they were recently released, even if they weren't, though, if they were recently released, don't you have their information? Don't you have their contact information? Don't you have a way to get a hold of them? I mean, if we're to assume that they were fired over the phone or they were let go over the phone, um, you got their number. And it's not like Mickey James was an obscure um, female wrestler who very who got very little time on TV. I mean, in contrast, not only was Chelsea Green ready to come back, and they were actually apparently excited for Chelsea Green to come back, where she was going to come back with a gimmick victorious Chelsea Green, and she was really excited and happy for it because it would be something that could put her personality out there. Well, this is the exact opposite. It's a veteran, a six-time women's champion that you let go for no reason, could have definitely bolstered the uh, Raw women's division. 
someone who's, you know, survived the divas era, someone who really is a great worker and someone that everybody loves and gets along with and randomly just let her go because you look someone somewhere, probably Mark Carano looked on a spreadsheet and said, wait a minute, we're paying her this much. And she, we used her this much. She's got to go. Well, that's bad enough. But then you further it with not calling her, not writing her a letter, not sending her email, retweeting her and then tweeting her right back. So again, I don't know if this is necessarily a millennial. You wouldn't call them millennials. I mean, they're only a few years younger than me. I mean, Triple H, I think, is what? His early 40s, maybe mid. I think he might be a similar in age to me. Stephanie's not that old. Stephanie's in her early 40s. I don't think she's uh, 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 a you know millennial by any stretch of the age. And you know me. I don't bang on millennials anyway. I don't make fun of millennials. I just make fun of individuals. Um, but I don't hate millennials. So I don't really care because they're going to have to figure out their ways of communication. I know it's the default for talking to someone about something serious is always face to face before there were cell phones and texts. There were face to face conversations. You know, you couldn't just break up with somebody over a text. You couldn't just break up with somebody over email. Uh, you could do it face to face, man to woman, woman to man, man to man, woman to woman. And it would be done. But now now we're responding to people that we just let go, that we literally have their number for that we literally talked to them a week ago. We have their Twitter handle. So I guess that's all. I guess that's a way to isolate and insulate yourself from people. I don't think uh, apologizing over Twitter just looks a little tacky to me, to be honest with you. If she didn't have the guts to give Mickey James a call back or at least try to set up a video conference or FaceTime where they could talk face to face, then um, there's more going on with the culture and the climate of WWE than uh, anybody suspects and it's all bad it's, it's all bad um now mickey james in her defense then learned that someone got fi- multiple people got fired and she graciously enough didn't uh didn't exactly say yeah good job good riddance what a jerk bag whoever treated me like that deserved to go But she did, however, have a few words to say, and I think she did it in a very classy way because she is a hashtag grown ass woman. So I'm not going to read the whole thing because I don't want to bore you with that. I just want to read just a little bit. You can see, of course, you can go. As you can see on the side there, I copied her Twitter and her Instagram page, which is basically the same thing. Um, Just look up Mickey James. And her Twitter account is Mickey James Aldis. And then her Instagram is the Mickey James, I think. So uh, it's very similar. If you want to follow her, I would suggest it because uh, she's moving into a lot of different areas in her life. You know, she can't stand still. Uh, So she just says, the last thing I desire to have any of that tainted with ugliness and negativity I take zero pride or joy in the fact that someone would lose their job ever, especially someone I considered a friend. And going down is here, she says, um, however, the symbolism cannot be denied. I'm sorry that a thoughtless and tone deaf act will cost someone their job. But and I always told my students, circle the word, but but I am not sorry that the that I had the courage to ensure that will never happen to anyone else. 
moving forward. So she's right on both accounts. She's not petty and small, no matter how much her former employees are, personally. She's not ignorant. She knows full well that this was not necessarily a personal attack. They're not just saying, oh, okay, fine. Well, if that's, if that's how you feel, go to impact. They're saying, but, but, but it is symbolically something to assign a little bit to. And she's not apologizing for doing it, but she is sorry that someone lost their job. And maybe this is an institutional practice, again, that can be rectified with the company. Unfortunately, someone had to lose their job because of it. But Mickey James lost her job randomly, too. So I don't know. Maybe the universe is balancing it a little bit. Um, and I don't think there was anything too malicious to it. It wasn't like Vince McMahon stormed into the women's locker room and, you know, grabbed Mickey James's stuff and just threw it in, in a garbage bag that was there at the lock in the locker room and, and sent it that day cursing under his breath. But I also don't think that any tact was used either. This is why companies and HR departments have exit interviews they have time to decompress. They have time to talk with uh, HR and they have time to plead, you know, your case out. Uh, even if you are getting fired, even if it might be an ugly or untenable situation. Um, again, I didn't have that personally, but uh, but this is where most professional companies do have this process of talking things out. And yeah, probably won't make things better or probably won't, you know, reach an agreement, but at least what they'll do is uh, both sides will be able to clear the air and the person leaving will be you know, able to put this job in the past and move forward. Most companies have that. Most businesses, most places you work have that. WWE does not. They just have, here's your hat, what's your hurry? And you're out the door. So now begs the question. And again, I'm going to uh, put this out probably on Twitter, but I'm going to put it out there um, is the WWE's environment toxic? And we have talked, uh, you know, at length about how they've treated people in the past. You know me about my Zelina Vega, uh, uh, Vega and all the other wrestlers, even though apparently Aleister Black is back. But uh, and I don't like throwing these terms around because honestly, I am not one of those. PC types of guys. I'm really not part of woke culture. I'm really not interested in being a, a social justice warrior. I don't really subscribe to a lot of that, but I do want to ask the question, is the WWE's work environment toxic? Um, you know, again, you would have a hard argument to say that it's not. And again, I don't work there. All right. I'm a guy talking about wrestling in my basement. I have no idea about what goes on in the WWE. However, I am smart enough, and I know that as a professional educator, someone who encourages uh, students to take multiple sources from primary and secondary sources and put them together and then synthesize it and, and analyze the information presented with all the wrestlers who have left. With all the wrestlers who've been very vocal about their time at WWE, with all the wrestlers who have, you know, there's a difference between wrestlers like Billy Jack Haynes who have an axe to grind who just want a quick payment, um, you know, because some uh, a shystery lawyer has, uh, 
you know, juiced him about the WWE owes you all this money and what did you do? You know, there's a difference between that kind of situation and Zelina Vega or Mickey James or other wrestlers who have absolutely regretted or uh, completely hated their time being in world wrestling entertainment. So the WWE's work environment is seems like from all this empirical information, from all these firsthand and secondhand sources, seems like it is a hostile, toxic work environment. And maybe, just maybe, the firing of Mark Carano, the firing of Joey Vila, and the firing of other people who are involved with the TV side or the talent relations side are a way of Triple H and Stephanie starting to really put their stamp on the company and really starting to change the culture institutionally, not just outwardly, institutionally. You know, it's little increments, just, just like everything else. You know, you don't you can't really get sweeping radical change unless you have complete revolution. But the way to change things, institutions do the gradual little baby steps. Triple H insisting on professionalism. You've got the Miz and Dolph Ziggler. Now I remember there was the Miz and Dolph Ziggler standing up against like JBL and getting rid of all that good old boy carry my bags kind of stuff. And now you've got, you know, uh, people pushing back on Kevin Dunn, Braun Panties, mud wrestling matches. And you've got this and you've got this. So you're just chipping away to get rid of all the negative and all the bad, and you're hopefully striving for an institution that's actually going to be better. So we'll see, is this Triple H and Stephanie finally taking over and trying to rewrite the WWE and make it more of a pleasant work environment than just what the fans see or the entertainment product or the entertainment value? Um, are they starting to take seriously the feelings and the well-being, not just physical, but the mental well-being of the wrestlers. Are they not just coasting on the fumes of, oh, this is your ultimate goal. This is what you want to do as a little kid. Are they done selling like car salesmen the notion that the WWE is your be-all, end-all because it's what you dreamed about when you were little? Are we done with that? And are we moving on to um, a more mature work environment where there isn't 20 different people trying to tell one person one thing and then when that person does the one thing they get destroyed for it and vince mcmahon hates it are we finally getting rid of the totally competitive uh dog eat dog political backstage of the wwe and making it more of where it's a meritocracy where you deserve your spot because you deserve uh it through all your hard work and determination and your dedication to your craft who knows it is yet to be seen but let's just let's just hope that this all even though it sounds like a negative can all uh turn into a positive step forward for not just wwe but for the sport of wrestling and the hope that other companies and other corporations can take the step forward to chip away at all of the garbage that's in their institution and streamline it for a more open and worker-friendly institution. I guess that's what we all could pray for. Speaking of prayers, there's a guy that is going to need our prayers, and I'll tell you all about him in five seconds. Stick around. Did I say five? I meant ten seconds. Anyway, thanks for joining us here on the Heal and Face podcast, a podcast dedicated to the sport of professional wrestling brought to you by – I didn't do the finger point yet – Heal 
current wrestling. So I told you it was going to be kind of a short show today because, again, didn't get to watch much WWE and there wasn't a whole lot on the docket as far as um, what to talk about. There was only one news article that dominated the wrestling news cycle this week, and I think I talked it to death. So I'm just going to go ahead and move on to another uh, unfortunate news article, someone that, you know, we really haven't thought about and have had a lot of fun with for a lot of different reasons in WWE history, in wrestling history in the 90s during the Monday Night War. Um, But this guy definitely needs your prayers as he just just acknowledged on social media and through an article on uh, people.com that he is in fact suffering through a debilitating neurological disease. So former WCW U.S. champion and NFL Hall of Famer Steve Mongo McMichael announces he has amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, otherwise known as ALS, otherwise known as Lou Gehrig's disease. And very sad for him. Prayers up for him and his family. Uh, he and his wife decided to... Uh, go through with this via social media and uh, People Magazine, people.com. So he has been diagnosed with this terrible disease. He is um, starting to even be really brave on his social media accounts by showing pictures of his wife helping him get through the day. As you are aware, ALS is a disease that affects the muscle control in your body. Uh, It's spinal and uh, it radiates from there. Uh, It's different from uh, muscular dystrophy because uh, that just means that your, your muscles are atrophizing. They're just, they're just wasting away. This one's more uh, centered around uh, your nerves. And it's not only is it frustrating that, your your muscles in your body won't fire the same way that they used to, but it's also apparently extremely painful. And we wish Mongo the best in his fight with ALS. Many of his former teammates have reached out to him, of course, as well as former wrestlers. And the Mongo factor in WCW comically at times was the best thing that happened to WCW and also the worst simultaneously um, you know my memories my first memory of steve mongo mcmichael being in wcw was when he was the commentator and bringing pepe along and uh me thinking why is he commentating on pro wrestling uh, i mean he was in the or he was part of the lumberjack match between bam bam bigelow and uh lawrence taylor and he's had an affinity for it. I think he might have been in the uh, WrestleMania 2 as well, to be honest with you. So he's been adjacent to pro wrestling. And I do respect the fact that he gave pro wrestling a shot even after, you know, both of his knees were gone and he was no longer effective. I think he ended his football career in Atlanta, if I'm not 100% sure. Um I know that he wasn't starting, or at least he, you know, was kind of just another one of those veterans who had a great amazing career but then fizzled out at the end and i think by being virtual by being in atlanta i think he was able to talk to the right people about seriously giving pro wrestling a try um let's be honest the internet has made countless amounts of money off of steve mcmichael botches matter of fact uh there's a whole uh, Twitter account. I think someone's Twitter handle is dedicated to 
all of the botches from Mongo, uh, the crazy things that he would say, and the fact that he was in the Four Horsemen actually kind of, uh, part of my language, pissed me off because it was kind of at that point, they'll just let anybody in the Four Horsemen. I kind of thought, I at the time felt that Eric Bischoff secretly hated the Four Horsemen. That's why he put Mongo McMichael in here. I mean, if, if McMichael had two more years of solid professional wrestling training under his belt and they didn't bring him out, say, maybe until 97, 98, I think McMichael would have been a heck of a pro wrestler and it would have made it worthy for him to be in the Horsemen. But they only put him in there just because he was a uh, Super Bowl winning NFL Hall of Famer. There was no other reason to put Mongo McMichael in there anyway. Um, his promos were just as goofy as uh, anything else. I, I just think that, you know, maybe that's how he talked or that's who he was in the locker room. So I don't know. But anyway, God bless Steve Mongo McMichael uh, making a lot out of nothing in the world of professional wrestling, but being an NFL Hall of Famer as well. So congratulations. Um and uh, Godspeed, and I uh, hope you stay well because uh, no one, you know, deserves to have a debilitating disease like that. And we'll just uh, keep him in your prayers. Okay. Well, like I said, I have had to have a palate cleanser, right? I had to be done with WWE, and this was a really even even this bad news about Mickey James really brought a really bad taste in my mouth right now about WWE. And even though I'll probably watch it next week or at least watch it to the point where I'm paying attention to them leading up to WrestleMania backlash um, and the drinking game that would ensue after hearing WrestleMania backlash so much. Um, maybe there'll be some backlash against WrestleMania backlash. I don't know. We'll have, we'll leave that up to you in the internet wrestling community to figure that out. But one one very pleasant, very uh, amazing, fun palate cleanser that I did witness yesterday was UFC 261. And let me tell you, man, uh, for for the first one that was back um, with a live crowd, it was it was pretty daggone entertaining. I almost didn't get a chance to see it because one of the bars that I went to um was doing a capacity thing so i just had to go down the road but i did i caught i was so lucky so happy um i don't know if there was a match in between the time i mean there could have been it took me about 10 minutes to get from one of the bars to the other i did witness uh brown choking out uh olivier so i got that one uh, I didn't catch much of the prelims other than that one. But let me tell you, again, highly entertaining and um, just some like good energy, man. I mean, Dana White's high-fiving kids, uh, Joe Rogan and uh, uh, Ari, uh, like looking at each other like they ate the mushroom pot brownie at the same exact time and uh, it kicked in at the same exact time. Uh, just marking out completely about uh, Rose. The, the picture, yeah, right here, that was the result of Rose's match against uh, Wei Li. Thug Rose, hashtag Thug Rose. Uh, she's one of my favorites. I love her to death. Uh, she was talking a lot of uh, crap. I know I'm going to be all over the place with this review of UFC 261, but, so bear with me here. But there she is, Thug Rose, kicking kids in the head, not even caring 
I was talking to a guy and, and we were talking about how, you know, powerful and, and, and all that, uh, how great these fighters are. And he was uh, not as impressed with the women's fighters as he was with the men's fighters, but he knew a little bit about them. And I said, uh, you're in for a treat for both women's matches uh, because let me tell you, and Rose is my favorite and her fight with um, uh, Joanna Dredzik, uh her both fights were just amazing. Uh, you saw her, uh, Rose was, uh, she walked in, she was calm. I mean, both the fighters were calm. I don't want to take anything from Whaley, uh, but both fighters were calm, but Rose came in, she was like, walked in, she just walks in like, uh, this is my ring, this is my yard, I'm the big dog. And then when the camera came close to her during introductions, she looked at the camera and said, I'm the best twice. She was like, I'm the best. I'm the best. And like, oh, uh, she's winning tonight. There's no, there's no, there's no, she, she's not losing tonight. So, but before we get to, um, uh, Thug Rose versus, uh, Whaley, let's get to, um, I didn't get a chance to see, I think I did actually see all of, uh, Brown versus Oliver. And, um, and it was a pretty dominating performance from Brown. Didn't really expect it. I thought it was going to be more of an even, uh, handled match. I thought both guys were pretty, uh, pretty even-handed. But uh, once Brown took over and he got uh, Oliveira's back, and he only got it with one hand too, because I think Oliveira had his other arm trapped, so he just basically choked. Uh, Brown just choked Oliveira out from behind uh, with one arm. So uh, good on you, dude. Um, that was that, and that was quick too. Uh, well, not that quick. I think it was maybe the second or third round. If I'm not mistaken, um, so that was the uh, so that was that match. Um, then we go to the main event, so I'm, or not the main events, but the uh, main card. So I'm glad I actually got there uh, for this because this was quick. But this was one that I think a lot of people were anticipating. Uh, been hearing a lot of good things about Jimmy Crute uh, and basically everybody who is fighting uh, from New Zealand and Auckland and uh, in. Uh, Australia. Shout out to everybody in Australia, everybody in, in uh, New South Wales and Auckland and uh, all you crazy people in New Zealand and all that stuff. Shout out to all y'all in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, I don't know what it is y'all are drinking. I don't know. It's because you guys fight giant spiders and have like three of the most poisonous uh, cobras on the entire planet. And the fact that you're uh, basically any animal can kill you. Um, I don't know what it is with living where y'all live, but you know, some reason or another, y'all are just coming up for some reason. Everybody in Oceania and Australia is just coming up as far as the fight game goes, whether it's pro wrestling or it's combat sports. And apparently, um, this guy Jimmy Crute uh, was no exception. I think he was a lot of buzz coming for him. He was a really good fighter coming up, and people were excited to see him in his young career as a light heavyweight. Facing Anthony Smith, who's obviously a pro, obviously somebody's been around for a while. And I wasn't not because again, I know I'm corny, but sometimes my default is always the American. And uh, and it's, I really wasn't. This is one of the few matches. Excuse me. This is one of the famous matches that I wasn't really rooting for in America. I just want to see a really good fight because I heard a lot about Jimmy Crew. Well, we get into the match and they start things up and 
within the first, I would say, probably 20 seconds of the match, whack, Anthony Smith throws a leg kick. Now, my biggest beef with people who criticize watching the UFC is they say, well, why do they do that? Because that looks stupid. Why do they do this? It doesn't look like it does anything. Why did he do this? Because why are you going for his legs? Why aren't you supposed to aren't you supposed to punch him in the head or tackle him? There's so much skill and so much craft that goes into uh, attacking a body part, especially a leg. It's where you drive off of. That's where your power's from. That's where you can obviously do more damage with kicks and knees than you can with fists and elbows and, and arms, um, which was apparent in this match because Anthony Smith got a really well-placed leg kick. And for whatever reason, he must have hit it at the right spot. Um, I don't know what came out of it from uh, 24 hours or so ago. I just know when I saw it, uh, it looked to me like Jimmy Crute's knee just dislocated. Um, I had heard I was listening along. I heard Joe Rogan mention that it could be just dead leg, that he just hit a nerve the right way and that's possible too but for whatever reason it was ugly and jimmy crew couldn't walk on his leg and he was still fighting though this is the g thing about it this is what the appeal for ultimate fighting is even though the dude basically had one leg he still tried to shoot he still did a double leg on anthony smith and took him down it's just that he couldn't perform because his leg was i mean he tried to get up once it looked like it looked like it actually was broken it wasn't broken we'll get to that in a minute uh it wasn't broken but you could tell that there was either some type of nerve damage some type of dead leg some type of um, too deep of a bruise in muscle and tissue soft tissue wise for him to be able to put any weight on uh, could possibly have shattered his patella or his uh, mcl um uh, probably shifted his entire knee to the other side of his leg and he the the guy the dude is just a dude man he really tried to give it a go and he was so disappointed i think anthony smith was disappointed too i think this was supposed to be a really good fight and it kind of got uh went sideways because of the kick but again a well-placed leg kick they practice leg kicks like every martial artist now every mixed martial artist now practices leg kicks you'll sit there and you'll probably do about a hundred on each, on each side, on each leg uh, when you're sparring because of this very reason. So I don't want anybody else saying, why is he playing footsie? Why is he tagging him in the leg? Why is he kicking him in the thigh? Why doesn't he kick him in the head? Well, this is the very reason because a leg, a well-placed leg kick, if it's not going to do damage, the first kick, it's going to do damage the 100th kick to where you can't stand on it anymore. So, uh, good on Anthony Smith. He really did not want the victory like that. And he went over and joined Jimmy Crute and they both had a moment. They shared a moment. And I'm sure Anthony Smith said, Hey man, when that leg is better, we're going for Smith Crute too. Please don't get it twisted. And they, they, they talked to each other like men. They fought each other like warriors. They, they, they hugged together like, you know, warriors would. And, uh, you know, I, I, Anthony Smith, I didn't get to listen to a lot of what he said post-match, but he definitely was not 100% happy with the end of that fight. And neither was middleweight Uriah Hall, who won as well in similar fashion, but in reverse. And I think it's a little ironic here. And UFC fans have pointed the irony out. So the middleweight belt was uh, middleweight. I'm sorry. The middleweight fight was Uriah Hall and Chris Weidman, who Chris Weidman 
can talk a little bit. He doesn't necessarily go out there. He's not Conor McGregor level of talking crap, but he definitely is confident in his abilities and he's made it very known on social media. And let's just keep it at that. So you got Weidman versus Uriah Hall. This is a match that was probably going to put whoever won right back into the middleweight title contention again. And it started off pretty well. Except for within the first 17 seconds, uh, Uriah Hall checked a kick from Chris, Chris Weidman, who completely shattered his leg. That's right. Tibia and Fibia both shattered as he tried to throw his own leg kick at Uriah Hall, who checked it with his shin. Uh, it was so ugly that Weidman was in shock. He was still standing. He was getting ready to fight again. And then he collapsed. And then he passed out. He was definitely in shock when it happened. He didn't realize his leg was broken until it was. Um, why is that ironic, you say? Hmm. Well, fans, if you remember, Anderson Silva was fighting a young Chris Weidman. And Anderson Silva, he too, did the exact same thing. He threw a leg kick that Weidman checked. And Weidman's not really known for his ground or his, uh, his, his striking. You know, of course, former wrestler, former Olympic wrestler. He's more known for, you know, wrestling and and ground game. Well, Weidman checked Anderson Silva, Spider Silva's kick, and Silva broke his leg in the same fashion. And Chris Weidman uh, was not pleasant and gracious about that. Now, granted, Spider was talking a lot of crap. Spider was talking a lot of noise before the match. So Chris Weidman kind of slyly said, well, you know, play stupid games with stupid prizes. He basically said, you know, well, Silva talked all that crap, but he was going to beat me and Sure enough, he couldn't. And people were like, well, yeah, he couldn't beat you because he was injured. And so that kind of rubbed people the wrong way when Weidman didn't take it as well when uh, he won because Silva couldn't continue. And now, ironically, the same thing happened to Weidman. So fans, UFC fans were not necessarily sad. They were, uh, you know, they felt bad that the match ended that way. And, you know, Chris Weidman does have a lot of respect in the UFC community, but he lost it a little bit when he kind of made fun of Silva and was talking crap about it uh, post, you know, post match. So ironically enough, he was taken out by his own leg snapping as his kick was checked by Uriah Hall. Uriah Hall, who, by the way, was not uh, pleased with the outing either, wasn't happy, was very upset for Weidman, showed the proper amount of respect, uh, you know, did say in the post-fight that it's frustrating that he, he he won that way. He didn't want it to win that way. He wanted to be a, a real battle so he could prove that he deserves to be a number one contention for the middleweight belt. And he does, by the way, and he will be. Uh, but, you know, again, you, you your adrenaline's up. You've been, uh, you've been stoked beyond belief for this match. You've been waiting for this for the whole, you know, for the last six to nine months. You've been training for this. And then it finally gets here and it ends like that. It is a little disappointing. And uh, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, Weidman deserved it. He didn't. No one deserves that. But it's just, again, the reason why you make your legs strong and the reason why, uh, you know, leg kicks are important because not only can you uh, do debilitate your opponent with a strong leg kick you can debilitate yourself with a strong leg kick so uh, uriah hall wins that one and we'll get to the triple main event now this one i don't know if i was expecting or not and this was a title fight 
for the women's flyweight, it was uh, Jessica Andrade versus Valentina Shevchenko. So um, I was a little shocked how well Shevchenko dominated Andrade. And as you know, Andrade is just stereotypical, typical Brazilian fighter, just stocky, built, tough, take three punches to give one knockout punch. Uh, Andrade's uh, game is, uh, you know, completely outstanding, uh, all around uh, a great fighter, not just a female fighter, but a great fighter all around. But uh, Valentina Shrevchenko just dominated Andrade. You know, uh, Jessica tried to throw Valentina a couple times. She wasn't having it. Great defense up against the wall. Great defense from getting uh, lifted and thrown by Andrade. Uh, a lot of great well-placed strikes. Um, uh, just just wouldn't back off. Just kept coming with uh, with with boxing and with kicks. Um, she took uh, Andrade down seven times. She was perfect. Seven out of seven times she took her down. Um, she had a 92. 93% striking rate. That's an A plus, kids. Uh, well, not the, the Harvard scale, um, but uh, that's an that's an A for effort. Just totally dominated uh, the entire match, and then uh, ended up submitting Andrade for uh, the women's belt. So uh, good on her. And of course, she danced at the end. Former ballerina turned uh, UFC fighter. So there we go. Um, there's that. And then we go from uh, someone from Kyrgyzstan to someone from Poland. My dog, Thug Rose, Rose Namajunas versus Weili Zhang or Zhang Weili. Um, not 100% sure. Uh, I thought the first name was always last, last name first. I don't know. Uh, Zhang went in there um, all confident, uh, calm, cool, collected. It's what you should do, you know. Um, you should go in there confident and with a sense that you're that you're going to win. And you know, let's not take anything from Wei Li. Uh, she's she's a baddie. Like she is strong. She's powerful. She has knocked chicks out before, right? So she definitely has power, and she knows what she's doing in the in in the in the octagon. But Rose is just a dog. She's a thug. Like we said, she came in as I said earlier, walked in smooth just like cold steel eyes walking forward came up when bruce buffer was announcing her she in the camera you could hear her say i'm the best i'm the best took about oh maybe about a couple couple minutes uh rosa so fast and she set her up she because she set her up because whaley was not coming she was not falling for anything but she did want to throw some strikes so rose you know dodged Little dodge here, little dodge there, a couple strikes, and all of a sudden, bang! Hit her with that left. How? That left head kick. Boom. Straight out. Wei Li was so knocked out, she popped right back up and got mad because she didn't know why the match was over. She got knocked straight out. It was like, she crumpled. I think Wei Li was a little madder because now she's going to have to go back to China and face the, uh, uh, the, the Chinese government and... She probably brought shame to her family and her village. So God bless Wei I hope uh, she doesn't get put in the uh, concentration camps for losing to uh, Rose. But uh, it was a well-deserved victory for Rose. And she is the women's strawweight champion. So that was, again, an amazing fight there, too. 
Now, not every fight that lasts five rounds to the last minute uh, has to be amazing. Uh, when a fighter goes in there with a game plan and a purpose and executes it perfectly, that's an amazing fight to me. So congratulations to Rose, and she is the women's strawweight champion. And then we get to the main event, which, again, this one didn't last very long either because, again, talk S. Get uh, for all of Masvidal's charm and the reason why he got into fighting in the first place, you know, for all his moxie and everybody loves a uh, guy who, you know, is kind of goofy like that Matt Riddle type of sense of humor where he just really doesn't care, but he just knows he's confident that he's the best. To get knocked, as Smokey said, the hell out is what he did by Kamaru Usman. And let me tell you again, like I said last time, Talking about Negranu or Neganu. Sorry, I keep getting him mixed up with Daniel Negranu, the poker player, and I apologize. Francis Neganu, between him, Adesanya, and Usman, I'm really digging the African fighters right now. They are so good and on top of their game. They know exactly what they're doing, just the best. And uh, Usman uh, made short work of Masvidal by uh, punching him in his face. And again, that's how Silva got knocked out last time. That's how a lot of these other guys get knocked out is they talk crap. I mean, let's be honest. Nate Diaz is the only guy that I've seen talk crap in the ring, still get punched and survive it. No one else. You talk, The amount of, of taunting that Masvidal was doing at Usman throughout the match, he was laughing at him. We're like saying, you can't hit me. You can't hit me. Okay. Bow. Now I hit you. He came with that. Usman came with that overhand right from God himself and knocked Masvidal out. And Masvidal was like, he too got up mad, wondering why the fight was over. You got knocked the hell out. It wasn't even close. And again, it was after Masvidal was talking. And it was the second time that match then Masvidal let his guard down and did this kind of thing, you know, sticking his chin out there, daring Usman to, well, when you dare somebody like that with Usman's skill level, when you put your chin out there, you're going to get it checked for real. So congratulations to Kamar Usman and still your UFC welterweight champion, Kamaru Usman. So congratulations. Uh, fantastic stuff all around. Absolutely great. Uh, it was definitely a nice palate cleanser from WWE, especially as intense as WrestleMania was. We'll see what happens with WWE and we'll see what happens with other combat sports and other professional wrestling promotions on the upcoming weeks. We know that tonight is Rebellion Impact. There is a uh, eerie feeling, scary feeling that the fix is in for poor Rich Swan tonight and that Kenny Omega will fulfill his destiny and continue collecting promotional heavyweight belts like Infinity Stones until he finally gets what he wants, which is all of the belts. I don't see how that's going to happen with Will Ospreay being the, uh, the IWGP uh, heavyweight champion right now with a brand new lovely belt that looks like Bret Hart's WWE Championship belt from the 92. But uh, we'll we'll see how that uh, plays out. We'll uh, talk about whether or not Omega was successful in defeating Rich Swan for the Impact Championship or not next week. 
And uh, we'll also take a look at other wrestling promotions. And I also have in contact, like I said last week, I'm, I'm working on it, but I have contact with another independent pro wrestler who would like to come on and uh, talk about uh, what, uh, what, what he's all about. And I encourage everybody to do the same. So if you are a pro wrestler or a promoter or if you're in the business or whatever and you would like to uh, get your name out there, if you'd like to come on and talk about what it's like being an independent wrestler, especially during the time of COVID and what you're all about and what you've done and, and, and who your favorites are, what you like to be and where you want to go and where you're wrestling. If you want to do a little bit of self-promotion, then hit me up on the DM. Slide into the DM at Heel and Face on Twitter, at Heel and Face on Facebook. You can go to all of my other places all over. I'm on Mines, and basically I'm everywhere you can be. I'm locals, and you can go all of those places, and all you need to do is just look up Heal and Face, and it's either Heal and Face Podcast, Heal and Face Podcast Group, whatever you want to call it. I'm there. I'm live, Daddy, and uh, I've got links. Plus, you can also go, if you're unable to stick with the entire video today, but you want to hear what I'm saying, you can definitely go to all of your favorite audio podcast streaming services and you can download or you can listen to this podcast on uh, uh, on uh, on those. I don't know why that awkwardly ended, but it's going to end right now because my time is up and I told you I didn't want to go too long, but here we are. And I just want to say that uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the world of professional wrestling have fun happy wrestling and as always this is i'm sorry i forgot the sign off duh this is steve castle your boy bringing you the heel and face podcast brought to you by heel turn wrestling have fun be safe and as always peace